Well, as uh, David and uh, Sam have mentioned, we're continuing our study of the book of Ephesians, and it's been a great time uh, if you've had a chance to be with us. Some of you, this, you may be here for the first time, and that's okay, too, because today we're going to look at a topic, and uh, the topic of, as they've mentioned, the parent-children relationships. Now, the first half of the book of Ephesians, chapters 1 through 3, Paul spends a lot of time helping us to understand what God has done for us in Christ. And it's really beautiful, and it's amazing. And the theme that he picks up, and it carries throughout the book, is that what, what God has done for us is, regardless of our nationality, regardless of our economic status, regardless of our gender, the color of our skin, God has made us all equal co-members of his family under his leadership. Um, and it's a beautiful thing. It's a look at the power of the gospel of God that takes down these things that can be barriers in our culture for unity. In the second half of the book, uh, chapters four through six, Paul then instructs us and challenges us how to live into that calling, how to live a life worthy, as he says, of that calling. And so why do we do this? Why, why do we live this way? Well, we certainly don't live this way to try to earn something from God. In chapter 2, he made it clear. What God has done for us is a free gift of his grace that we can just simply receive. So why do we do it? Well, there's a number of reasons. The, the first reason why, it's just a better way to live. God's wisdom, he wants the best for us. He knows how it works. He created us. And it's just a better way to live. Secondarily, it's a great way to honor God with our lives by following his guidelines for our lives. And then thirdly, as Kaylee mentioned a couple of weeks ago, um, we live this way because people are watching us. And as they do, they're deciding something about God. So as we've mentioned today, it's the children-parent relationship. It's important to understand the context and the flow of Paul's argument. In chapter five, it, the argument kind of comes to a crescendo. And in the middle of chapter five, he instructs us as Christians to continually yield our hearts and our will over moment by moment to the power of the Holy Spirit. Because it's only through his help, it's only through his empowerment that we can actually live differently than our human impulses or desires. He changes us and he empowers us. It's interesting to note that when we do, when we learn as believers to live according to the power of his spirit, uh, some really neat things happen and it gets very practical. Our relationship with God begins to grow and we begin expressing by faith, thanksgiving and experiencing the joy of God in our heart, regardless of the circumstances we're in. In addition to that, a whole bunch of right relationships begin to happen and they're characterized as Paul says in Ephesians 5.21, by being subject to one another out of our reverence for Christ. In other words, if you love Jesus, if you hold him in high esteem, one of the ways you can show that is by being subject to one another, to being quick to put others first, to love other people before yourself. Because when we do, when we're humble and when we love, it's the cement that binds relationships together. And so he gets practical. He talks about the relationship between husbands and wives, as Zach covered last week. Today, parents and children. And next week, we're going to look at the employer-employee relationship and principles from God's word about that. But today, it's parenting and children. 
Now, not everybody here is a parent, and that's okay because God's our parent, so we can learn a lot about how he parents us. But we're going to get into some of those practicals. We're going to look at what it means to be children. Uh, Jill and I were the parents of four wonderful children, three adult daughters, and our son in, uh, with me this morning who's uh, currently in high school as a sophomore. Uh, I know when we became parents 26 years ago, I remember driving home from the hospital going about 45 miles an hour in a 65-mile-an-hour zone. I was just like... and I I was eager to get any help I could get uh, about this thing, parenting. How do I do this? Well, let me say, the Bible's not a parenting manual, okay? But it has all that we need. The principles are here. The wisdom is here. But it doesn't have anything in here for us when your two-year-old crawls as mom is uh, trying on clothes to the corner of the changing room, uh, takes off his diaper, and does his full business over in the corner. Um, my mother was mortified when I did that. Um, there's nothing in here about when uh, your toddler is in base camp ministry and, and in Sunday school and throws other kids off the rocking horse because it's his. Uh, they wouldn't let me come back for four months. Um, there's nothing in here about when they knock on the door and your parents open the door. There's a policeman. They look out in the car and there's your son. Uh, he was trespassing on a construction site and thought he could outrun the police. Obviously, I couldn't. They caught me. Uh, wasn't a good day for me at the current household. So there's, there's no real specifics on any of that. It's not a manual, but it has all we need because God's making your children into a masterpiece. The brushes of wisdom and prayer and truth, the rich colors of love and joy and relationship and community is all we need as God creates his masterpiece. Now, it's important not to be judgmental of parents. Everybody's different. All the children are different. And uh, let's say some come out as little angels and some, well, let's just say they're born and possessed a really strong will. Um, so it's like the pastor who did not have children. His first message was the Ten Commandments of Parenting. And then he had a kid. He changed the message to the Ten Principles of Parenting. And then he had two more. So the message became the 10 prayers for parents. <laughs> so with that in mind, let's read Ephesians chapter 6. Or, um, whoop, and we're going to start in verse 1. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 1. I've been at this parenting thing so long I need glasses to read. So here we go. All right, parent or children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it might go well with you and you might enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and in the instruction of the Lord. This is God's word. Now, children, he addresses you first. And so in our culture, typically that's kids ages 0 to 18, kind of when they're under their parents' authority and their roof. And uh, for those uh, kids in the room, children in the room, uh, once you turn, uh, come to sixth grade, I'd like to welcome you. Uh, they've graduated from base camp, and they're actually graduated into the service. And so uh, sixth graders, middle schoolers, high schoolers, we're so glad that you're here today. And I'm particularly glad you're here on this message because God addresses you specifically. And before we even get into the words of what he has to say, there's something really cool here that I don't want you to miss. 
The mere fact that he's writing to you shows how much you matter to God. You see, in Paul's culture, when this was written thousands of years ago, it was uncommon for the master teacher to address the children directly in a public letter like this. That just didn't happen. But Paul has no problems breaking with societal norms because he wants you to know just how much you matter to God. Children, you matter. You matter to God. Your opinions matter. Your thoughts matter. Your feelings, your ideas, your dreams, they all matter to God. And parents, you know this. It's just kind of born in us as well. They matter to us as well. So knowing this, children, that you matter to God, let's see what he has to say for you. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Hmm. Obey. At first blush, it kind of seems a little cold, almost harsh. I mean, we don't talk much about obedience, do we? I mean, that's where we send our dogs to obedience school, right? So I want you to stay with us because God loves you more than you will ever know. And he has this in here for a reason. He tells us it's the right thing to do. You see, a good foundation for your relationship with mom and dad starts by you listening to, by you taking to heart and doing what they tell you to do. This is your part in the relationship. Now, God has given all of us parents for our protection. And even though your parents may seem like they're still stuck in the 80s, I mean, they were born before the internet. They were born before cell phones. I mean, what can they know, right? They've got wisdom. They've got years of experience and they've learned some things about how life works. And they love you. And they're not perfect, but they want the best for you. Now, do you remember, kids, when you were small and mom and dad said, don't run out into the street? I'm telling you, don't run out on the street. And you may not have fully understood the reasons why back then, but it was good that you obeyed your parents because you don't want to get hit by a car, all right? Well, it's still true today. When mom and dad are telling you some things, even though you're middle schooler or mighty high schooler, there's still much you have to learn and your mom and dad are there for your protection. And so they're giving you guidance for life and it is good and God wants you to take to heart the things they're saying. Just realize this, that your submission to your parents is ultimately an example of your submission to God. As you're trusting them, you're trusting him when you do what they say. Now Paul gives a second instruction to children here. He says, to honor your father and your mother, this is the first commandment with a promise. And what he's referring to is this is the fifth of the Ten Commandments. So God must think this is pretty important because it made it into the Big Ten. All right? And so this is important for all of us. Um, the first admonition was to children to obey. And that's something we do when we're under the household and authority of our parents. Honor is something we all can do for a lifetime that our parents are with us. To honor is both an attitude and it's an action. Our attitude should be to respect them as people, but also to respect the position is what this means. To respect them for who they are, but respect the role that they play in our lives. But it's not just an attitude, it's also an action. It's something we do. When we show them appreciation, when we show them value, when we show them respect, when we demonstrate that we appreciate them, 
This is the idea of honoring our mom and dad. Now, I realize that not all households are this kind of beautiful Mayberry picture that I'm painting right now. This is the ideal. But the American family and families around the world, they are under attack. And so let me say a word to, for a moment to those who haven't had the joy of being raised in this kind of environment. The pain of what you missed, it's real. And I want you to know that God cares. But I don't want you to give up that God can work starting today, moving forward in your situation. But the work's gonna start in you. What I wanna tell you today is there's something you can do. You can do your side of the relationship regardless of whether or not the other side of the relationship is being done properly. It begins with this verse. What God is saying is that we're to honor our parents as a key component of harmony in this relationship. And remember, honoring is not just about their performance. It's about the position they're in. You see, God knew who your parents would be. He gave them to you. All right, and in his sovereignty, he's given us our parents. And so we can actually take the lead in moving towards healing. Um, here's an idea how. Early in my career, I actually had the chance to be a pastor of uh, actually four different churches to college students. And I was involved in a ministry uh, to college students. And I realized real early on, you don't do this ministry very long, that a lot of kids are carrying with them a heavy burden, a lot of scars of parents who were so preoccupied that they barely knew their kids, all the way over to kids who experienced trauma in the home. And it's real. And so many of them wanted to not have anything to do with their parents, and you could just tell it was a burden on them. So we'd look at this passage together, and I'd ask them, I'd say, can you think of anything that your parents... Um, have done or who they are that, that you could honor them for? Oftentimes, silence. I'd say, nothing? You can't think of anything? <sighs> Not really. I'd say, okay, I, I get it. Uh, can I offer you a suggestion? It was most welcome at this time. And I'd say, diapers. Diapers? Yeah, diapers. You see, over the course of your life, uh, let's say you were in diapers to age two, and you went through maybe five diapers a day. That's over 4,000 smelly diapers that someone had to change. And let's say you didn't adapt to the fine art of toiletry use until maybe age three, and you had a super active digestive system. That's like 7,000 diapers. All right, someone had to change those. And for the 40 and older crowd here today, I'm just saying they probably weren't disposables. All right. So when you think about this, there's something you can start with. I took this approach. That may sound silly to you, but I think it's an important principle here. I actually took this approach. If you know any of my story, you know that uh, my parents, I think they're wonderful people, and they were even when the problems were going on. But like so many uh, people, they just had some really, really severe challenges. And it manifested in their marriage, and it just spilled out onto us kids. So by the time I got to college, I was carrying some hurts with me. It was there that I came back to the Lord and I remember, all right, I'm going to try to do my side. I'm going to move towards my mom and dad. And I remember praying as I was driving home from college to be with my mom and dad. And I was just praying that God would open up a connection and open up a line of communication. And wow, did he answer in a way that I didn't even believe at the time. In that conversation, it led to my mom coming to Christ, my dad being recommitted to Christ. 
and it began a process and a journey of healing in our relationship that today, 40-some years later, is just a beautiful thing that we experience together. Um, there's power in the gospel of Jesus. I don't care what situation you're in, God is a God of redemption, and he can work, but it takes faith on our part. You can do your part. He can help you move towards mom and dad in honoring them. Fortunately, a good majority of parents, they want to do what's right. They want to bless us. They may not be perfect. So let's do our part. Let's honor mom and dad. Let's appreciate them. Let's hold them in high esteem. Let's value them the way God says to do it. And let's do that over the course of their lives. And as we do, by the way, did you notice the promise? God says it'll lead to a great life for us as well. Okay. Mom and dad, let's look what God has for us. Now, I realize not everybody here is a parent today. One day you might be, so this could be helpful. And even if you never become a parent, remember, God is your parent. And so these are principles for how he loves and nurtures you. Now, this section, remember, is, is the section that has the umbrella over it that says to be subject to one another out of the reverence for Christ. And so when's the last time you thought of parents being subject to the children? We don't think that way, do we? Why? Because, well, the verse earlier just said, obey your parents. Clear, they're in the position of authority. Is God saying now that children can somehow be in the position of authority? No, that's not what he's saying. But we still carry into the relationship this mentality that we're subject to one another out of reverence for Christ, even if we're parents. You see, this section is all about someone who has authority over the other person. And if we understand what it means to be a Christian, that changes everything, especially our leadership. We lead differently when we recognize we're the same as them. We just have a position of responsibility. And so it should bring about humility. For parents, this means an attitude of really listening to and adapting to and doing all we can to connect to our unique and wonderful kids, realizing that one day they're gonna be adults. And they're going to be in a relationship with you. Now, I've got four kids, and they're all different. <laughs> they all, well, you know, Jill and I both their parents, but boy, are they all different. And so this next thing was super helpful for me. I heard a message early on, and it illustrates how we can be subject to one another. It's from Pastor Chuck Swindoll. And uh, he gave a message entitled, Your Child Has the Bents, B-E-N-T-S. Your child has the bents. I thought, what's that? What he was referring to is this verse that says, train up a child in the way that they should go, and even when they are old, they will not depart from it. In the Hebrew, what it says is, train up a child according to his or her own way. Interesting. And what it brings to mind is actual imagery in the words of husbandry of an hourly old olive tree uh, in, is native to Israel. And this thing is just kind of nasty. It just kind of turns and bends. And God says your children are kind of like that. They come out needing to be shaped. They come out with kind of bends and turns and knots that, that need to be worked with. But what he's saying is don't take them and try to break it. Don't try to take them a different way. Work with them according to his or her bend. Wow, was that great advice for Jill and I as parents. Our kids are different. And so we learned to, to how do we connect with this child? How do we rear this child? And so that was really helpful advice to us. 
Now, in Ephesians 6.3, Paul goes on and he says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Or another translation says, do not provoke them to anger. Did you notice something here before we explain that? Did you notice that Paul addresses fathers in this command? Uh, why does he do that? Why does he change and address dads here? Is it because mothers never provoke their children to anger? No, they do too, but I, I think uh, not as much as dads sometimes. Now, I, I believe that this verse and what follows are principles for both moms and dads, but Paul gives the command to the uh, father because as Zach mentioned last week, just as in the marriage relationship, God has charged husbands with a responsibility of leadership. It's true also in the rearing of our children. And I also think Paul knows this is natural for mothers, but husbands have a chance and fathers have a, a, a tendency to shirk this responsibility. And Paul's saying, uh-uh, you take the lead. You fully give yourself to this. This is something God is asking you to do. Fathers, he starts, do not exasperate your children. Now, you know what exasperation looks like, kind of tongue-in-cheek. Mine, when they're teenagers, kind of get that look on their face. and Dad! And it usually comes out when I'm trying to be cool in front of their friends or something like that. You know, so, but in, in all seriousness, what do we do that angers our children? I'm sure it's different, but I think there's two things that happen. They're on the extremes of our parental behavior. Here's two common mistakes. The first one uh, it, it comes to you via story. Is, uh, just this last week, we went uh, as a staff team to the Global, Global Leadership Summit. And one of the communicators, Bill Hybels, uh, was talking about how he was in his study. And his little girl came in, and she was all excited, and she wanted to tell Dad uh, what was going on. She just wanted to relate a story to him, and he just was so busy, and he, he could barely pull himself away. And he, he kind of looks over to his daughter, and he says, okay, honey, but you got to say it quick because Daddy's really busy right now. And she said, that's okay, Dad. I'll come back when you can listen slowly. Interesting. Now, that happens to time to time, but when we're chronically unavailable, when, for whatever reason, we choose not, not to deeply engage in their lives, it has an impact. Look, Mom and Dad, I know we're busy. We live in a time that's hard. All right, we're long hours at work. Many of you travel, and we just come back, and we're exhausted. And I know you just feel like you're chasing it. And then when you do have time, if you have teenagers, it seems impossible to get them to kind of put down their social media or their video games or their Pokemon hunting. And by the way, if you're in the gym right now, you shouldn't be. God sees, okay? All right. But the clock is ticking. And we only get so much time, and then it's gone. So let's lean in. We've got to figure out how to make the time. We've got to find the time. We've got to give this the priority and reach down and get something from God so that we have something to get. Our lack of engagement is the sin of passivity, and it grieves the heart of God. And so let's get intentional and get involved in our kids' lives. Another way we exasperate our children is we get on another extreme where we can get too critical or demanding or strict or harsh. We get, go there for a bunch of reasons, uh, none of them good. If our kids are, you know, the thousandth time, clean up your room or pitch in after dinner and help out a little bit or clean up your toys and we want to pull our hair out, it's easy to go to strict rules thinking that somehow 
rightly enforced, this is going to get through to them and get their attention. Let me latch on or share something I latched on to again, something that was real helpful to Jill and I. It was from a book by Josh McDowell, and in it he said, rules without relationship lead to rebellion. I'll say it again, rules without relationship lead to rebellion. He's not, he's not saying, and I'm not saying, that rules aren't important, they are. All of us need clear boundaries, even as adults, and guidance for living. And so one of our roles as parents is we gotta give the rules, we gotta give the boundaries, all right? But rules without relationship will almost certainly sow seeds of resentment that will lead to some sort of rebellious behavior in our children. Perhaps look at it this way. How many of you would appreciate showing up Monday morning at your work and every Monday morning you got a boss just breathing down your neck, just being harsh, critical, rule after rule, just driving you so hard. None of us would appreciate that. And so rules are important, but really from a leadership perspective, they're the lowest form of leadership. There's higher forms of leadership. Being in a good example is another level of leadership. But the highest level of leadership is what we find in Christ Jesus. It's servant leadership. It's laying down my life for yours. It's investing in you. It's caring about you and putting your needs first. And that can't be done without relationship. And neither can good parenting. And so it's important to know that we can err on this side. Now, from a kid's perspective, these two extremes might look like, you know, I can't get mom and dad's attention, or I can't get them off my back. Okay, Paul continues on. He says, fathers, bring up your children in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Now, the first word training is also the word discipline. That's the connotation. So discipline is that interventive form of parenting. It's when we need to step in and give a course correction to some waywardness in our children's behavior. And I know it may be hard to believe if you've just got a little baby with you right now, but that sweet little angel of yours is one day going to need you to love her enough to step in, to bring about some consequences that may be painful, possibly, so that you can help her grow. In Hebrews 12, verse 11, it says, no discipline seems pleasant in the moment, but painful. But afterwards, those who have been trained by it, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. You see, discipline is a necessary part of our parenting. But I wanna give you some guidelines because this is where it's easy to get it wrong. And I'm gonna have them up on the board because I'm gonna go pretty quickly. So let's look at effective discipline. Effective discipline never, not ever, is done in anger. Never, no, never. Now, Jill has had to help me with this one because I grew up in one of those families if the milk spilled at the dinner table, the hand wasn't too far behind. And so it was scary. And I still, at 56 years old, get that impulse. Now, I've learned to catch it, but it's there. And so my wife has had to help me here. And oftentimes, she'll coach me, Jeff, respond, don't react. Respond, don't react. You see, in that situation, I'm the adult. I need to act like one. Another thing we need to do is to make sure that the boundaries and the rules are clear. The time to make up rules is not after they did something you don't like. 
as much as possible, let them know in advance what your expectations are. And similar to this one, make sure the consequences are clear. If at all possible, tell them in advance, here's what the consequences will be. If you choose not to clean up your toys after you're done with them, we'll put them in the closet for a week. If you choose to stay out past my curfew, then you're gonna suspend driving privileges for the month. All right, that sort of thing. Make sure you're fair when applying both of these. And then finally, keep the goal in mind. God's goal with you and with me, thankfully, is never wrath and never punishment. Do you hear me? God's goal is not to punish you. The scripture makes that clear. His goal is he loves you. His correction is always out of his love. And his goal is for your good. His goal is for your development. His goal is for your character. And that should be our goal as well. I think of a dad I know here at Summit. I just really respect how he and his wife are raising their children. And uh, he shared a story with me that I, I think illustrates this kind of discipline. They just couldn't get through to one of their kids. Um, just would not be faithful with the basic responsibilities he was given, no matter what they did. And they tried a lot of different things. So dad prayed about it. He got this idea. The idea was he gets up early, and he's going to get up an hour earlier than normal and have his son have to get up early to join him. And together, they would do the chores together. Well, you might imagine day one what that was like for his son. <laughs> it wasn't easy. But you know what? By day three, the son was saying to dad, can we do this every day? Interesting. You see, that was wise parenting, and it was relational, and it was for his good, and it really built him up. Um, I just really love the example that they're setting with their children. But you see, discipline is only part of what we're to do as parents. We're also to teach them about God. We're to give them instruction about the Lord. And we do this a couple of ways, all right? The first is simply we tell them about Jesus. We tell them about God. We tell them about the Bible. Um, if you've been a parent very long, you've probably learned this is not as easy as it sounds. All right, I remember I'm a pastor. I was a pastor at the time when my girls were small, Michael was small. I had visions of grandeur. All my sweet little angels would be sitting on a blanket, compliantly in the living room, listening to Daddy wax eloquently about the deep truths of God's word. Uh-uh. They're throwing things. They're looking around. They're crawling away. They're like, they've got the attention span of a gnat. All right, it just, it's, it's hard to get through. And so I realized what works for me, what works for our family um, is, is what are my kids interested in? What are they asking questions about? What's going on in their life? And looking for ways to naturally teach them about God and his word in the areas they're already inquisitive about. You'll have to find what works for you. Uh, that seems to have worked well for Jill and I. But just know, you can't impart what you don't possess. And so you need to be in the word. You need to be growing. And I know the Bible's a challenge. I know it's hard to understand, but you can do it. There are no shortcuts to godliness. Spiritual disciplines are essential for our growth. And reflecting on God's word is foundational for all of our growth spiritually. So keep at it. Don't give up. And oh, by the way, our children's ministry and our base camp, they're just fantastic. And our goal in those ministries is to support you as you take the lead in training and teaching your children. Now, the final thing I want to talk about is the other way that we instruct our kids. And I think this is done through our example, through how we live. 
just know that for 18 years, those little eyes are watching. Those ears, they're listening. Those hearts, they're feeling. All right, and as they do, just remember, I, I agree with the old adage, so much more is caught than taught. Do kids see generally your marriage as being one of love and patience and harmony or strife, anger, and discord? Now, I'm not saying you don't have arguments, but do they see you make up? Do your kids ever happen upon you as you're spending time alone with God and his word? Do your children see faith as you go and navigate through the ups and downs of life? This is a big one. Do your kids ever hear the words, son, I'm sorry. Would you please forgive me? What dad did there was wrong. Um, please forgive me. Uh, you're not going to be perfect, but can you admit it when you're not? These are the things that teach your kids' radar. It's on. They're watching you. They're experiencing life. They're experiencing Christianity. If you are claiming to be a Christ follower from you in your home and remember as they watch you, they're deciding something about God. Whew, that's a lot. It's a big responsibility, isn't it? But what a joy, what a blessing that God has given. And let me just end with this word. We're about ready to go into communion. And you know one of the things that this signifies for all of us? That Jesus has made all things new. If you've come from a tough situation, if you're sitting here going, oh, there's so much I need to learn, or there's so many mistakes that I think I've made, don't wallow in that. Our Lord has made it new. Today can be the day of new beginnings. And for all of us, let's just receive this exhortation and embrace it in our hearts, knowing that God is for us and he will work in your family if you'll look to him. I know he will. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you, Lord, for this great opportunity to look to the God of the universe, our perfect parent, to receive the help that we need in our relationships between children and parents. Lord, so much ground we covered. I just trust by your Holy Spirit that, Lord, you would help each person here that is looking to you by faith, that you would meet them, and that, Lord, you would meet their need as they look to you by faith. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.